welcome to the Victorious Living Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Nakia Young, and thank you so much for tuning in today. We have a very, very special guest with us on the podcast today. Her name is Maisha T. Hill. So let me go ahead and read you guys a little bit about Miss Maisha. Maisha T. Hill is a rare educator who comes from a place of compassion and profound emotional insight. She is leading a revolution of mind, heart, and soul, one that she now continues in her highly anticipated book, Heal Your Way Forward, which we are talking about today. Maisha's work changes how we experience the world by helping us understand our place within it. This book shows anyone interested in human liberation the way to heal, to hope, and to become true advocates and co-conspirators, not just for justice and change, but for the future of who we are as human beings. And that is a quote from Anna Paquin, an actress and producer from the book, Heal Your Way Forward. All right, let's welcome Maisha. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, Nakia, how are you? Thanks for having I'm me. I'm great. I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I can't complain. And if I complain, we can't do nothing about it. So I'm grateful. Okay. I love it. I love it. You guys, in the spirit of full disclosure, Maisha and I have known each other for years, probably what, since like 06, 07? I think Micah was two. He's about to be 18. So... Yeah, like 16 years. 16 years, yeah. Yeah, somewhere around there. Wow. I know. Like, where did that time go? Crazy. So I'm just, we went from, I think when we first started, we were into Plus Modeling. Maisha had a fabulous organization called Exchange. Exchange. Exchange in the building. (laughs) If you know, you know, honey. You know. So we were on the scene doing our plus modeling thing here in the Chicagoland area. We did the Miss Plus America pageant. Like we just did different things. We were on our paths and God led us to cross paths. And knowing you has been a blessing. Seeing what God is doing in your life just warms my heart because you are so deserving of it. And so, yeah, I'm not going to start. But anywho, happy to have you here. (laughs) Thanks for having me. It's a blessing. It's, you know, sometimes God puts people on our path and we start a journey together, but it doesn't mean that just because we take a certain road that the mm-hmm. journey ends, right? God always can bring that intersection back. That mm-hmm. X, yes. You know, that X you threw up. You know, mm-hmm. so that, the X will always keep us connected, but there could be other deeper, like even Malik, when Malik was born, who was there? Nakia, you know? So we're super connected, you know what I mean? Yes. So this is a blessing. I love it. I love it. You guys, we're titling this episode Racism and Narcissism. Kissing Cousins. Kissing Cousins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, child. Okay, first of all, Maisha has this book, Heal Your Way Forward. And I want to know, how did you get started with social justice work and activism and everything? Because this book Let me tell y'all, this is a hard hitting book. How did you get into this work? Well, that's a really good question. So, well, Nikia, part of my journey, as you know, um, it started when I went into the hospital after Mm -hmm. Naima was born and I wanted to start something for people of color to talk about their mental health. So that evolved over the years. I created and founded an organization at the time was called Brown Sisters Speak. Um, And I was working uh, in a therapy office as an operations manager um, Mm -hmm. with a white woman. 
Um, and I was also working on another project with her that I'm not going to name, but uh, it was really a powerful, powerful project. It was, it's like something that if more people could do the project that I work with her on, like one thing she would always say is that we wouldn't need therapists anymore because a lot of times people just need to be in connection with each other to yeah. feel fully like human. Um, so there was a point where there was a disagreement and my disagreement with her had me questioning my mental health. And I'm asking myself, okay, wait a minute. Am I crazy? Am I delusional? All I did was set a boundary. Where's the problem? What is, what, what's the disconnect with this woman who's a white woman? Whereas I'm speaking my truth and yet being met with all types of words and she was victimizing herself. And then I got called a narcissist and she's like, we actually know we're just codependent. And this was a licensed clinical therapist wow. weaponizing one, her whiteness, and then two, her expertise, yeah. right? Um, nice. Towards my experience. So we did try to restore the harm in uh, mediation only to be met with another therapist where they pathologized me, um, talked about my struggle with depression and anxiety and I was like, wait, we're not here for that. We're not here to talk about anyone's mental health issues. And I didn't even bring them up. So mm -hmm. it was it was just an interesting dynamic. And the way I was raised, you know, you don't throw people away just because they're white or just because of an experience. So I wanted to create something to really help white folks understand the impacts of their ingrained, internalized whiteness and racism. And that was called, I was like, oh, check your privilege. So yeah. it started as an interview series um, in my in my kitchen, and then it moved into now we are a global international community of folk um, doing uh, action around racial justice. Uh, we have a podcast, we have this book, we have monthly workshops and, and webinars specifically focused on white folks so they can do their work mm -hmm. and like do their work on a deeper level so yeah. that they can stop weaponizing their mental health, stop weaponizing whiteness against Black folks and other folks of the global majority. Mm. So it, it started from a place of pain and discomfort. And I wanted to use that experience as a piece of education. One, not only for white folks, but also for Black folks. Because a lot of times, I don't know how you grew up, it's like, oh, if you see a white folk person, move off the sidewalk for them, give them their space, mm -hmm. stay away from them, let them own everything. And it's like, you know what? No, actually, we have the lived experience. We have the inner knowing. So let me do this to step up and show Black folks, like, actually, you can teach and guide and lead in the anti-racism space, in the justice space, if you choose. Mm, very good stuff. Okay, so let me find, before we get deeper into that, I'm going to read the definition of racism, and then I'm going to read the definition of narcissism. As you all know, all this season, we've been talking about the theme of the season is surviving toxic relationships. So racism is the inability or refusal to recognize the rights, needs, dignity, or value of people of particular races or geographical origins. So that is the Oxford reference definition, the inability or just refusal to recognize the rights, needs, dignity, or value of people of particular races or geographical origins. All right, so what about narcissism? Hmm. Keep that in mind. You can't even recognize the value of a person. There's something that all narcissists do um, that relates to that. So narcissist is a condition in which somebody is only interested in themselves and what they want and has a strong need to be admired Jesus. and 
a lack of understanding other people's feelings. Okay? So they're only interested in themselves and what they want and have a strong need to be admired and a lack of understanding of other people's feelings. Here's some nine different symptoms of narcissistic personality disorder. So the sense of self-importance, the preoccupation with power, beauty, or success, entitled, can only be around people who are important or special, interpersonally exploitive for their own gain, arrogant, lack empathy, must be admired. Okay, so when you hear those kinds of things and the work that you do, I see you trying to hold in your laugh. <laughs> what comes to mind? What are you thinking about? You really want to know what I'm thinking about. Girl, guilty. When I hear you make that description, I actually think of a couple of different ones. One, a human being, a person. I'm mm-hmm. not going to put race in front of it right now. <laughs> Two, us in a system. And when I think of the system, I think of the system as what exists in the United States, the government, right? Mm-hmm. The branches of government. I think of the educational industrial complex. I think of the prison industrial complex. I think of the social justice industrial complex. Everything is an industrial complex in America. And I, I have a quote in one of my books where I say, um, we as people in America are in a narcissistic and codependent relationship. Yes. With mm. the system, right? So the system yeah. is the biggest narcissist that exists mm-hmm. because the system was created by a whole bunch of old white men who all they wanted was power and control. And what oftentimes has happened, and if you look at history, specifically the women's history movement that was founded by the suffragists, who not the black suffragists, but the white women's suffragists, they duplicated that same movement with the women's empowerment movement. So mm-hmm. that is another system that exists within feminism where white women want to exert that same level of power over people of color. And so when I think of that word narcissism, um, I'm going to throw in here something that Susie Hill says. Everybody is a little bit narcissistic. <laughs> Every she, I, Shout out to my mom. Everybody has a little bit of characteristics of narcissists. And so I don't want to come on here and say, well, when I think of narcissists, I think of white people. I can't because everybody has a little bit of it in them because the larger system that we're socialized to uphold has trained us all to be that way. Mm-hmm. Like we are all duplications of what already exists. And so if I were to say anything, when I think of dominant culture, the dominant culture is America, in America is white. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to say when I think of racism or racist, I think of white. But on a deeper level, I actually think of whiteness, not a white person. Gotcha. And all of us are socialized to uphold whiteness. Now, hmm, very good. So let's talk mm-hmm. about that a little bit because I know some people are like, what are what is she talking about? The whiteness, we're designed to uphold whiteness. So when you say whiteness, mm-hmm. what is a definition you could give to explain kind of what you mean and how we're Absolutely. all upholding it or conditioned to uphold it? So when I think about dominant culture, I'll start there. That's easy. When I think about whiteness, I'm referencing what's known as the dominant culture. And the dominant culture in America is white. Mm-hmm. And white and whiteness have has created some aspects and assumptions of the white culture that mm-hmm. are norms and values and preferences that a whole entire group of people are expected to follow. Mm-hmm. So for example, 
Um, you're born into the world and everything is set in motion, yeah. right? Everything that you learned from your parents came from their parents' parents, but they were socialized into society a certain way. This is a framework that you can look up called the cycle of socialization. Mm-hmm. So depending on how you were socialized into the system, right? You are socialized to play certain roles and those roles uphold oppression and it's how we maintain oppression. And oppression is like, if racism was at the top, right underneath racism is oppression. So most of us that we call people of the global majority are black folks, brown folks, are socialized under oppression to have behaviors, we're trained behaviorally of how to be, how to act, how to show up in the world. Mm-hmm. And it starts at home and then it gets reinforced in our institutions, our churches, our schools, TV, um, in our cultural, so our cultural practices, um, our language, how we think. And it's all this unconscious and conscious ideas of how to be and exist in the world. And over time, it's enforced mm. over and over and over again. And what happens is that it results in a cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Um, we often learn to shame and silence ourselves. Um, we often participate in like horizontal and vertical violence against one another. Mm-hmm. And at the core of being socialized to uphold a system, right? A culture of domination that enforces whiteness on all of us. Um, at the core of that is fear and ignorance, right? And you have two yeah. choices, take action and heal your way forward or stay in inaction and keep maintaining the status quo or maintaining the system. So another way to think about it in Black culture is talented 10th. You had the talented 10th, and yeah. then you had those that didn't fit within the construct of the talented 10th. And so we, a lot of us in the justice space, depending where you land, would say folks who were representative of the talented 10th were the folks who were so close to whiteness that they didn't think that they were good enough to be in relationship with other low-income Black folk or Black folks that didn't have a higher education level. The ideology of talented 10th in our Black culture is the closest thing to assimilation is another piece of really reinforcing whiteness. Yeah. Very good. Yes, that helps a lot. And I know some of you guys may be tuning in like, okay, we're talking about toxic relationships. How did she get on race in this? I'm going to say a statement. Say it. Being a Black person, um, being a Black woman in America, and, you know, Black men too, but Black women, it's like we were the last of the last people to get any kind of rights and are still looked at as the lowest of the low of society in terms of, you know, the way people are treated, working your way down through different cultures and stuff. Mm -hmm. and then when we talk about that, it's like, oh, she's angry. We, it's a whole other thing. So I would say it feels a lot like we're in a toxic relationship with our country. Absolutely. 110%. And, and not even just our country, because we get the same treatment worldwide. It's like, who just woke up one day and decided that, you know, to crap on us? Like, who collectively decided this? So, yeah, that's how we got on the topic, in case anyone's wondering. Absolutely, because we are. I'm going to agree with that statement, Akia. We are. Yeah. We, and we have, we have been since enslavement, since they started bringing us over on slave ships. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's, uh, 
the rev uh, not reverend <laughs> angela <laughs> davis angela davis has a beautiful be- beautiful book called women race and class mm-hmm. where she talks about this experience about black women um bell hooks has a book called ain't i a woman where yeah. she talks about the degradation and the dehumanization of black women and what that has been for black women uh my friend ebony janice has a book coming out in the summer called all the black girls are activists where she breaks down how we as black women are at the literally the bottom of the barrel, yeah. right? The the most hated, you know, the most demonized, just like black men, right? Yeah. I, I would say black women and black men are on an even playing playing field. Mm-hmm. Um, some people may disagree because they'll take it back to the women's rights movement where black men have the right to vote and black men have positionality to power because they had voting rights, but regardless of the case, regardless of the gender, we as a black people are at the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. We, we, we are at the bottom of the barrel and we are always, this is going to be controversial, in toxic relationship with one another. Can we go there for a quick second? Yes. As black people, yeah. we are in a toxic relationship with one another. Mm-hmm. We are, and that is because of the dominant culture, because of whiteness. Yeah. It causes us to have friction amongst one another and not really know how to be in community well because yeah. of class, because of gender, because of religion, because of all of the ways that the system has set this up. But when it comes to toxic relationships, we are in this codependent relationship with the United States of America. Mm. Now, describe what you mean by codependent relationship. Well, narcissism doesn't exist unless there is a codependent that relays on them. Uh-oh, you went muted. What happened to the sound? I heard you and then all of a sudden your sound cut out. And nope, I can't hear you. That means he's a bro. Can you hear ah, me now? Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay. Uh, so codependency is typically uh, it's it's a theory basically that says you're tip basically you enable another person's self destructive behavior right yes. so as where a codependent would uh, a narcissist has power over the codependent enables that power over behavior with the narcissist yeah. and so what that can look like is it varies from person to person mm-hmm. right and um, what happens is that you almost have a Joyce Meyer's book, The Approval Addiction. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you're depending on the narcissist for approval of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. There is yeah. this idea of um, fear of abandonment and mm-hmm. staying in the dysfunction, right? To feel good about yourselves. And you feel guilty when you speak your truth and you are gaslit. Narcissist, yeah. That's a narcissist tactic. Um, you feel gaslit when you speak your truth, so you continue to minimize yourself instead of rising above and stepping into your power. And so, when we think about who we are as a people, we can name all oh, the civil rights movement and and all these movements, and yet we are still at the same place we were when Dr. King was alive. No one yes. wants to speak that truth, mm-hmm. but it's reality, Nakia, and um, we we really really struggle with being too dependent on the United States of America and too dependent on white culture and white culture norms. Mm. Now, I'm saying this because as you're talking, I fully understand what you mean. Yeah. So know the tactics of narcissistic people. So someone's going to hear what you just said and they're going to come back with, 
oh, you know, they're just being woke. They're, you know, see, that's unpatriotic. And, you know, these radicals, they're just encouraging people to hate their country. And if you don't like it here, if America's so bad, why don't you leave? This is the kind of stuff we get told when we speak truth to power in terms of what's happening. So Mm -hmm. it's possible to be a patriotic person, a person who loves their country and also realize that this country has a lot to work on. The two all exist. And also there's even a deeper conversation because even sometimes you can be patriotic, patriarchal and anti-Black. So you can be, if you're telling a black person, why are you complaining? You're being woke. You're being too radical. And you're not a black person saying that or another black person, you're anti-black. You don't like the fact that a black person is expressing themselves and speaking truth that you don't agree with. It's the possibility that somebody is listening and they're like, whoa, this is, I wasn't prepared for this. Whoa. How does this connect to where I am in my life? Well, you got to start asking yourself this question. Am I in this codependent relationship with America? Am I, are there behaviors, right, that I uphold that cause harm to myself and other Black people and other white folks that I might be in relationship to? Yeah. Patriotism is very similar to racism. It's a very similar behavior. So then the conversation is, is the question racism, because racism and narcissism are married, Yeah. or is it racism, narcissism, and anti-Blackness. Yeah. Like the devaluing that happens in narcissistic relationships. Mm -hmm. There's a, okay, so here's a good example. In a narcissistic relationship, they don't just come straight out with the bad behavior. Things are always really, really good at first. Mm -hmm. And then after they've kind of put you up on this pedestal and you're just really enmeshed with them, everything is good, everything is hunky-dory, you think like life is great, they build you up to then purposefully tear you down brick by brick. They start to point out little things about you that's not right or that it's designed to chip away at your self-confidence. This tactic that narcissists use is called devaluing. Yep. And, yeah. you know, a good example for that, too, for people who are listening, Nakia, would be, can be a, a work environment. Yes. Right? Yeah. You're a Black woman, Black man. You get, you you find this great, Ameri- great job at this Fortune 500 company. You get in, they're praising you like, yes, we're mm-hmm. so happy for you. You're giving ideas. They're like, yeah, that's great. You're amazing. And guess what? You show up late to a meeting. Uh, you forgot to put a period at the end of a report you start getting a little complaints like okay well you you know we're starting to see you got your there's some problems in your writing you know I want to invite you to slow down you know make sure that you know you're checking your grammar errors or something I'm just using the report for example you're like okay cool no problem then next thing you know you notice like your white colleagues in the corner kind of looking at you first they were hype about you but now all of a sudden all because of a period in a document they're like kind of starting to stay away from you. And then like a senior man- manager is like, yeah, you know, you were great. And they'll just start finding little bitty things to nitpick. This is yeah. what, not, this is how it works. Yeah. Little things to nitpick about you. And because you got this great job and it's taking care of your family, you're like, you know, it's all good. I'm going to stay in it. You know, 
Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't have to have any boundaries. I'm just, it's, it's going to be what it's going to be. Mm -hmm. But you as the black person are stressed out, overworked, burnt out because you're trying to prove to the company that yeah. it's your managers and to your coworkers that you're the right fit for the job mm-hmm. until you get to the point of burnout. Yeah. And yeah. then when you burn out in these companies, you go tell oh, I'm getting burnout. out. I don't know if this is the right job. They gas you up again. You're great. We love you here. You, we don't want you to leave. Please stay. We love what you have. You're great for our team. And then the cycle continues. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually you lead to burnout. And a majority of us, after we go through this cycle so long in these spaces, what do we do as black folk? We leave. Like, you know what? I'm done. I'm I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Y'all figure yourself out. I'm not going to fight. It is what it is. Uh Not recognizing that 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 narcissist codependent relationship you have building because Uh it's devalued to the point where you finally realize, okay, I'm going to walk away from this now. Yeah. And when you walk away from situations like that, because I've been in, that was a really good example. I've been in scenarios like that. You almost, not almost, you do. You have to take some time to decompress and um, deprogram your mind. And the reason I say that is because when you're constantly facing microaggressions of that nature, Mm -hmm. you can't, there's no possible way to go through something like that and not receive a constant flurry of demonic um, messages about yourself. Things that are not said outright, but that are implied. And you have to sit like a good thing to do when you go through those kinds of experiences is to get a clean sheet of paper and just brain dump all of those messages out and it may take front and back and you may need another sheet of paper depending on how long you were in that toxic work environment or relationship or whatever it was because those messages matter and just getting them out on paper you even feel the release in your pen as you're writing them like Mm -hmm. man because you can't put it into words when you're in it you just feel heavy you just feel like something is really wrong And when you finally step away from the situation, you can see with a clear view of just how toxic it was and the impact that it had on your body. How it triggered your anxiety, how you were, you know, like, wow, I was just functioning really depressed and I didn't know it because I just was trying to keep going because I had bills to pay and I was trying to be a good team member. Um, There was a moment after the Obamas got out of office where... When Michelle put out her book, she was doing press runs for her book. And she just said, you know, there was a moment after they got done where she just kind of collapsed and just burst into tears like, whoa, like that. And people were like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she was just like, that was a lot. That was a lot, you know? And she talked about just everything, just the weight of everyone's expectations, just the zero margin for error, you know, like things that many presidents and first ladies did like before them that were way worse, that were not, no, every I wasn't dotted, every T wasn't crossed and it was allowed to slide. But when the first black couple got, you know, in office, became president and first lady, all of a sudden perfection was expected you know like a big controversy over but he wore a tan suit like really (laughs) all 
of that. It was her collective experience of being under a microscope. And all the time. Yeah, all the time. And if you're not, this is one of those things that you, to hear us say it is one thing, but just to be a person of, this is what it's like to be a person of color in yeah. this country. And yeah, so I don't know. <laughs> I'm just I, I think I like where you're going with that because that's the standard that you're held to all the time. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. always held to a higher standard, right? Yeah. And um, there comes a level of soul searching and soul care one must do to realize they want to divorce themselves a bit from being held to that standard. Yes. Yes. And I think what sometimes happens is we get held to that standard. Then to our, my comment earlier, we hold each other to that same standard, mm-hmm. right? And then we start weaponizing those standards against each other, not seeing that now there's a point when you're dealing with narcissism where you're like, well, then you start enacting those behaviors on other people. And you're like, well, am I a narcissist now? Wait a minute. And and the deeper question is, it, it's just the oppression, yeah. literally. Yeah. I've experienced so much oppression dealing with narcissism. You 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 do kind of go through a phase where you kind of it does show up in other relationships and with other people. Yeah, it's impossible for it not to. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, narcissism, and we talked about this in some of the other episodes. You guys, if you didn't catch it, be sure, be sure to go back and watch. But narcissism is psychological warfare. Tactics that are used in narcissism, like gaslighting. We did a whole episode on that. Like. That's psychological warfare to do something to someone and then purposefully try to make them think they're crazy or that what you blatantly did didn't happen. No one who is a normal, sane human being does that. Like you only do that to intentionally cause harm to someone else. Um, And so when you've been in under a system that has oppressed you that much and you don't take the steps necessary to handle your way forward then hurt people hurt people that's it yeah and it's so it's so it's so uh you have to be so conscious to it too Nakia it's like when you go through any type of narcissistic abuse you have to become so consciously aware of the signs yeah that you know that you can recognize it in yourself and then you take the steps to heal that up so you don't enact it on others yeah, absolutely. So I want to ask you this. This book, you guys, and one more thing I want to say about the book. This book was written um, addressing white people who want to be allies, who want to know what can I do to mm-hmm. make things better. So that doesn't mean that if you're not a white person, you shouldn't read it. Everybody should get this. Um, but if you've ever been like, man, I wish there was something that I could do, or you're, you know, can you educate me? Yeah. Uh, No, go read a book and educate yourself. It is not the job of the people who are being actively oppressed to then educate their oppressors on how to stop oppressing them. (laughs) My only disclaimer though, is some of us do do it. I'm one of them. We'll do but it. Don't, don't don't go up to people like, oh well, Maisha said you. Maisha didn't say that. Maisha said that's her career choice mm-hmm. at this iteration of her life. So, a black person who does this work, I would say go to them first. Mm-hmm. 
not like your coworker or like your friend from church. Yeah. I would say there's some of us who are willing to do it, but I would say that it's exhausting for many of us. And so if you've ever asked a black person to do that and you truly meant well, you really weren't trying to be like a Karen or something like you really wanted to know more, you know what I mean? Because we can tell when somebody is just full of BS and when they really are like, no, I really just asked a question because I want to, I don't know. Like I can listen to you, but I've never been black. I've never been a person of color. So I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it just becomes just one more thing we have to do. And so if you've ever been met with hostility and you, you know, just for asking that question, just know that it comes from a place of exhaustion. We are so tired. Like we're tired tired that's the best way I just I can't even find the word we just tired (laughs) no like we don't want to do anything else don't add anything else to our plate if you can help it like google is free go on there and find some people who are doing work like what Maisha is doing and so many others and then proactively educate yourself and bring what you've learned to the discussion. Like, Hey, I was reading this book on this. This is what I learned. And, you know, like come at it from that part, you know, from that space. So it's, it's, it's so, it's so hard. I think we had to remember, this is a culture of folks who I'm talking to white folks specifically right now, if you're listening, you come from a culture who's used to having things done for you, especially at the expense of black people's labor. Yes. Pia's point. Yes. Yes, please go. We're not all just resources. There's YouTube, there's Google, there's TikTok, there's Instagram. There's so much information out there now where someone can just take a couple steps to educate themselves. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you this. What is, as you've been doing this work, what have been some of your biggest challenges? And then what have been some of your biggest triumphs? Yeah, I think one of my biggest challenges is doing the work and then people still staying in an action mm. it's like I'll teach a course or a workshop and it's like well what do I do and I'm like I just <laughs> told you what to do so just listen to what I said the step follow the steps I think sometimes white folks want a blueprint and sometimes I can't give a blueprint because the blueprint doesn't work for everybody yeah um, in the book I talk about learning styles I talk about disabilities I can't tell everyone, right? Oh, well, just go watch this video, right? When a lot of people actually need to do more than watch a video. Yeah. Um, they might need captions on. They might need to move while they're listening, right? Those of us on the spectrum need to have movement improved in all the ways that we learn. Um, so I think one of my biggest challenges has been like addressing learning styles and then empowering the folks who get excited about the work to actually do it. There's one thing to come and learn about it, but it's another thing when you have to go do it. And a lot of it is the fear of failure. And yeah. everybody feels failure in something in their life. But for white folks who consider themselves allies, mm-hmm. they're just like, I just don't want to fail. I'm just so scared. I, I just don't want to take a move. But if nothing happens until something moves, then we're going to be stuck in the same cycle. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the biggest challenges, getting folks to actually stay in engaged action. Yeah. Um, one of my biggest triumphs, I think, Another challenge I have too is the, a lot of, I get a lot of pushback from people. Like, why are you wasting your time on white folks when you should be working with 
black folks. And I'm like, I hear, I hear that a hundred percent. But do you know that there are white folks who are millionaires because they teach this or lead this work based on their college degree? Mm -hmm. I'm someone who highly believes that life experience is a value as, as an important value to also maybe potentially having a degree. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that white folks can't teach other white folks is from the lens of lived experience. Yeah. Um, and so the pushback I always get is like, so it's okay for Robin D'Angelo to be a millionaire on a book called white fragility, which is actually a book that actually is gaslighting white folks on why they should do this work. Mm. So a white woman can gaslight white folks, but someone who shows up with compassion and empathy, um, especially from my Christian upbringing and rearing kind of leading in that way is told to, oh, stop, this is not a space for you. Yes. That's a challenge for me. It's like being told that that's not my place or space, but I take up space anyway. So that's a triumph. Um, and another triumph, I think, Nakia, just would be, you just never know how something's going to go. I would have never dreamed that I'd be put on an international platform mm -hmm. just for trying to empower people to do better. Like I would, I thought the modeling was going to be the thing, right? With empowerment, I thought you know the mental health for people of color, but to know that there was a different plan for my life, and people, I get to work with people from all around the world, from Denmark to Germany to Canada to Mexico, and really help them like take the step on their journey to move past fear, get into action, while also giving back to my own nonprofit. Um, to help people get therapy stipends and therapy scholarships is a blessing. Yes, that it's is awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. You guys get this book, follow Maisha on all platforms. Tell them how they can connect with you. Absolutely. You can uh, connect with me online. Uh, my website is MaishaTHill.com. We got a cute little contact form. You just click that little button. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as Maisha T. Hill, and I'm happy to connect. Awesome, awesome, awesome. You guys, I want to close out with this shirt. You can't see it, but it says Child of God. <laughs> so we have lots of things, ways that we're all different and lots of ways that we're things in common, but this is one of those things we have in common. We are all God's children. He had a purpose for all of us. Being here, he didn't design all of these people of all these different nationalities and colors just for one to be deemed most important and everyone else to be the footstool of one type of person. That's not what God had in mind. Or else, I mean, if that was the case, like everybody just would have been white and it would have been no need for melanin and all this stuff. <laughs> so what are you going to say? No, I'm just like, well, you know... <laughs> Just saying, just saying. So this is a book that you can get. I, I highly recommend it. Heal your way forward. Do the work. Um, we can't afford to have our kids and their kids and their kids have to fight the same struggles that we've had to fight, that our parents had to fight, that our grandparents had to fight, that our great-grandparents had to fight. We Ooh. all have to come together at some point and stop being codependence to racism that's it that's it it's going to take all of us working together so get the book and do the work thank you all so much thank you Maisha we love you so much we're so proud of you and everything you're doing keep up the good work 
And thank you all for tuning in. Keep living victoriously. Bye, everybody. Oh,